This week on the Saber.com podcast, we start our season preview for the Virginia football team with a close look at the defense and some of the names that might be contributors. And in the final segment, a salute to Virginia's Olympians. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. And we are back here on the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by the Saber.com editor, uh, Chris Wright, and associate editor, uh, Chris Horn, gentlemen, good to uh, hear from you again and, well, see you on the Zoom here. But uh, <laughs> we had a little bit of time off and uh, maybe a mini summer vacation there, but uh, glad to have fans back here for the Saber.com podcast. And this is our uh, season preview part one. We're going to do all defense this week, all offense next week as we look ahead to the uh, season opener for the Who's on the football field versus William and Mary, September 4th. They're calling it fourth side orange out. So get ready for that. A whole bunch of orange in the stadium with the fans. And uh, you can now bring your adult beverages to your seat. So we may get into, into a little bit of that as we go along, but uh, we'll throw it out to you, Chris, right first. We know uh, you guys have been kind of rattling off the, the 50 things to look out for uh, this season and tell uh, update everybody on the progress there and, and what you're looking for from the defense this year. I think this is the third year we've done a preseason thought series and it's both big picture oriented, meaning some of the topics are like long-term things. Um, an example from a previous series, one year I looked at explosive touchdowns allowed. So that wasn't for that year's team. That was for, you know, big picture wise early in the Mendenhall era. So it's a, it's a kind of a blend of both defensively, you know, some different guys have been spotlighted, but the ones I'll point out most recently, Mandy Alonzo, Aaron Famui. Mandy Alonzo picked first in the Jersey draft. So he was the guy that got to pick his number first. He kept his old number. This is kind of the little secret of the whole thing. It's kind of all the players already know what their numbers are. It's just the right to pick it that they're really, <laughs> uh, really competing for or really working toward. Um, and then Aaron Famui is back. So he, he opted out last season and he is a kind of key cog up front. You know, he, he brings a little different element, a little different dynamic uh, to that defensive line group. So those are kind of two recent ones in the series and, you know, d- different things come out through that. So we encourage fans to, to check it out or read it or read the ones you want to. So we're about halfway, approximately halfway through the, the 50 and we're doing two, two or three a day um, content wise. So if you're looking to get geared up for football season, we've got you covered. We're, we're consistently putting stuff out there. So yeah, but Alonzo and Famui seem like a good place to start. They, they, really teamed up well when they both were here. And now Alonzo's here unexpectedly uh, because of the extended eligibility year. What can the duo do together again? They looked really good when they were on the field together in 2019. Um, I think that could make this defense as a whole look a little different um, in 2021 than it did in 2020. Now it's going to require some other things too. We'll get into the secondary and all of that, but something about Famui's presence and having an, an extra grizzled <laughs> veteran and Mandy Alonzo there. And I guess you could throw a D Batari Y in there as well, even though he started at JMU. It's just interesting to think what could this defensive line look like? Yeah. Famui, it sounds like they're working him. Maybe what, what's going to be interesting for me is to see exactly how he's used because this is his first year with uh, Clint Sintham, the defensive line coach. So he missed out on last, last season. So it'll be interesting to see if they utilize him maybe slightly. I don't think you're going to see any, any major differences, but I know Chris, I believe, you may have asked this question, but you asked Mandy Alonzo, I believe, who who's going to play inside in addition to Jameer Carter. And and Famui sounds like he may be a guy that can that can do that. The thing that I like most about Famui is his, his mindset. And Coach Sintum talked about this, his his edge. He just brings like a toughness and aggressiveness uh, to the field that I think certainly they missed last year. So that that's that's good to, th- to have back for sure. And I think we've seen kind of a, you know, certainly renewed Mandy Alonzo this year um he's always been consistent i mean ever since he got to virginia he's been a consistent performer on the defensive line but this year it seems like he's got that extra gear and i think that's what coach mendenhall is looking looking for from these super senior guys was uh you know we want you to come back and be better than ever be the best version of yourselves and i think we're seeing that so i'm anxious to see him as well his to your point chris about his performance with uh famui uh, i know we look at pro football focus grades a lot. His highest pro football focus defensive grade was in 2019 with Famui. And again, they had some other guys, you know, Eli Handback was 
obviously on that line and that so they had some good consistency from him so I'm anxious to see you know those two are going to be I think at the forefront Atari Wise sounds like he's had a really good offseason in terms of getting his body um, in better condition um, and he's got that year under his belt which usually don't see with grad transfers transfers it's it's usually a kind of one and done type deal but with him and some others you know they get uh, that they had that extra year uh, from last year to to uh, to build off of. Um, I think he's a little nicked up, maybe unfortunately, but uh, it sounds like he's going to be okay for when the the season gets here. And then uh, Jameer Carter, who kind of I think surprised last year. Obviously, he's got that size with a six four, like three hundred twenty pounds or something like that, and he was able to get that uh, some what is going to turn out to be, I think, really valuable experience last year. So Virginia's got a really nice four-man rotation on the defensive line, assuming they stay healthy. And then they have some, you know, some young talent in the program as well. That's going to be um, interesting to see as well if they're able to to contribute. For one second, Atariwa, Jeff White from VirginiaSports.com wrote an article on him. He's getting his master's degree in the engineering school. <laughs> engineering and football, uh, heavy lifting on two sides there. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. I just want to throw that out there because it's crazy cool. Wow. Yeah, I think he goes to practice and then he goes to study. <laughs> yeah, that's <not> it, yeah. <laughs> Literally that's his day. But yeah, that's 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 uh, it pre- goes to the end, which is, you know, that's definitely I mean, that's a great story. But it also shows that UVA is not just about football. Well, kind of going down the stat line, guys, from last year, you know, points per game, 30.7 for Virginia's offense and giving up 30 on the defensive side. So that's not really where you want to be giving up about the same amount of yards as we were gaining on uh, the offensive side of the ball. So what do you guys look uh, at as a bigger concern, uh, pass defense, rush defense, both equal are uh, 60, 40, one or the other. <laughs> Chris Horn, you want to take that first? Yeah. I mean, I think pass defense springs to my mind. I just keep envisioning big plays being given up and uh, especially that past year and a half, it seems like, uh, yeah, UVA has not been successful in the past defense. And there's been some factoring you know, the injuries have played a role uh, uh, certainly, but uh, uh, that was the whole goal, right? That I think this all season in terms of, Obviously, it's on the coaches' minds. Uh, they they uh, reshuffle the coaching responsibilities, put Coach Brumfield at cornerback from tight ends, uh, move Shane Hunter from inside linebackers to to safeties, and, and Coach Howell still has a role in the defensive backs as well, uh, a big role in the defensive backs as well. So they're addressing it. That's what you know. One thing I'm going to be interested to see the, this year is how 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 that takes shape and how much of an impact that has. I think you add in the two graduate transfers at cornerback, uh, Josh Hayes and Anthony Johnson. You know, Hayes, I think, um, is nicked up as well. But Coach Hall at last check said he's supposed to be back before the start of the season. But uh, you have those two guys. You have uh, Nick Grant, who's been, I would say, solid, not spectacular, but solid. And I think he can be a reliable, consistent guy um, on one side of the field. And then you add in Hayes, who could, who seems like a, a versatile guy as well with uh, some good tackling ability, even though he's only like 5'10", 5'11", but uh, a solid tackler. So he could be a guy who I could envision as like a Brenton Nelson potentially type. But Anthony Johnson is a, a grad transfer, another one who will have two years of eligibility left. So this is his first year, but he's really impressed a lot of people um, in the program this offseason. So he's I envision the starting cornerbacks being Nick Grant on one side, again, a guy who's been in the program. This is going to be his third full year as a starter, another super senior. You know, what his upside is, we'll see, but he's he's definitely, you know, he, he should be reliable. And Anthony Johnson's going to be an interesting guy. I think he's going to it's between him and Darius Bratton, who's uh, who's coming back as well uh, for that other cornerback spot, which is interesting competition. But I like, uh, but you know, if I had to guess, I would say Anthony Anthony Johnson may get that first look to see what he's going to do in, in uh, that 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 season opener with Bratton kind of right there on his heels. So a lot of competition at cornerback. The question is, how good uh, can this can that unit be? And then also at safety. You know, I think Joey Blount is a guy, when healthy, can be really, really good. Devontae Cross is moving back there to uh, to safety, which is, I think, his more natural position, clearly. But in addition to, the, you know, in addition to those guys who, again, solid players, but is there a difference maker like a Juan Thornhill or a Bryce Hall that can emerge to make it a really impact impactful defensive backfield? That's my biggest question, I think. 
I think that ratio was way kind in that question, Jeff. 50, 50, <laughs> 60, 40. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you took a fan poll, it would be like 98, two. <laughs> like <laughs> the secondary is the biggest concern because it's a, the most noticeable when they make a mistake, it is really, really obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's, it's a wide open thing versus if a guy misses a run fit up front, <laughs> you don't notice it as much, but B because of how bad it was last year, 123rd out of 127 FBS schools and passing yards allowed per game. They also gave up 19 passing touchdowns. That was 94th nationally out of 127 teams. So Yes, this is the glaring issue. Chris went through a lot of the personnel there. You're going to have five of those guys on the field most of the time. Not always. You, you may have a standard 3-4 with four uh, defensive backs, particularly on some running downs. But I think by and large, you're going to see a lot of 2-4-5 or a lot of 3-3-5. Three, three, and then maybe you may see a sixth defensive back out there. So, yeah, five of those guys have to be able to play and play consistently against modern college football offenses for it to work. But yeah, that ratio way too kind. I think fans would put it way up in the 90s uh, where their concern lies on defense with the secondary. Yeah, that's what I get for being nice, I guess. I, uh, <laughs> gotta... <laughs> We're getting down to brass tacks here. I like it. So, you know, a lot of times too, and this might just be perception. I don't know if the stats bear this out. I'm looking at third down conversion percentage for UVA's offense, 37%. Uh, meanwhile, it was almost 42% for the opponent. So that's obviously not where you want to be, but did you guys get a sense that there, I don't know, it just seemed like there were a lot of times where you get those stops on first and second down and maybe even have them in a third and long. And it just, it, it's just that much more demoralizing, I think, for a defense when you're giving up uh, 10 yards on a third and nine, you know, drive continues. And then obviously there's a probably an ideal number they want to get to with those, those third down conversion numbers, but is there something to that too, in terms of a psychology on, on defense philosophically? Well, one for context that that was tied for 79th nationally last year, that 40, whatever percent, what was it? 41.7%. Yeah. Just to give you an idea to get into the top 25, Pittsburgh was 25th. They were at 35.3%. So to be, you know, a top 25 caliber defense in terms of third down defense, yeah, you got to, you got to win basically one out of, Three. Yes, it is demoralizing, absolutely, to give up a, a third down conversion. And what really sticks out about last year, without you know looking up numbers to, to support it, but just gut feeling or, or remembering back how many long third downs they gave up last year. So if you yeah. give up a third and one, okay, I mean, like that right. happens, you're not going to win one yard battles a high percentage of the time. So that's one reason third down conversion percentages aren't 50 50, because sometimes it's short yards, right? It's the long ones. And it feels like those last year were a major issue. It, I, I can think back to several games, both message board wise or watching it live or whatever, where it was like, oh, what? third and 19, we're, we're in trouble now, <laughs> right? Th those type of posts because people had gotten so jaded against it in the early part of the season. So yeah, that can be very demoralizing when you give up a big game when it seems like you're in an obvious position to get off the field. I think, I guess part of what I'm trying to say is that means you're doing some good things on first and second down if you've got the offense in a third and nine or third and seven or whatever. But then to give up, it, it almost like flipped into a different, like what were we doing right on those two downs that we're doing so wrong on third down? Yeah, I mean, it, I think sometimes it just it can be kind of like a, a situation where, um, <laughs> I mean, you just, it, it's kind of, you, you can't explain it, but I think clearly, you know, I think the defensive back backfield had some issues. I think, you know, with uh, you know, one of one of the leaders last year, Joey Blount, again had had a good start to the season, but then injuries derailed him, so he was out. And you saw some other injuries in the defensive backfield that that I think uh, made an impact. So I think you know, overall, and and again, you know, just what everybody went through last year, no spring football, you know, to help build that depth and, and continuity and things like that. So I think um, I feel like a lot of teams were kind of struggling. Uh, with that, uh, certainly in the season, with in, in terms of, like I feel like the uh, the defenses were not uh, as good across the board across the country, just just from you know watching some college football last year. But anyway, but yeah, but heading into this this season, I think certainly a renewed focus, um, and then coming in, you know, off spring, and then they've added some pieces. They have experience coming back, experienced guys. Obviously, it's going to be key. I know uh, Nick Grant kind of mentioned that the other day that everybody's on the same page. You know, Joey Blount is obviously a guy who 
has a really good feel for the game and is good at making the checks, making sure he's in the right position and, and knowing everybody's position. But I feel like you're seeing that across the board this year. Uh, we've heard that mentioned with like Noah Taylor, um, Nick Grant mentioned that. So a lot of guys are just talking about being on the same page. And I think hopefully that will translate into, into that. But yeah, it's definitely a psychological thing, I'm sure. I mean, once you once you start kind of having something that keeps biting you, it's just hard not to think about. And then unfortunately, you can't really uh, just play the game. I think it becomes part of part of your psychology. I'm getting the sense, and you mentioned a little bit there, the word communication has come up a lot in, in some of these defensive press conferences or, or Zoom calls or whatever you want to call it that we're getting. So Shane Hunter, who's moved over to coach the safeties, he mentioned communication a bunch of times. Joey Blunt mentioned it. Nick Grant mentioned it. So I'm wondering if there were some breakdowns last year that they feel like are, are controllable. That's kind of the sense I'm getting from the defense as a whole. Like, yes, we had issues last year. Yes, we were bad last year. No, we're not ignoring last year. But I get the sense that they feel like it's correctable. How does that play out? Do they get on the field and actually correct it? Is some of it you know, something that they can't correct? <laughs> Maybe they just don't have the right personnel or whatever. Well, we have to wait and see how that, that plays out. But that does keep coming up a lot. Communication. The other one's discipline. I feel like I've heard that word a lot, too in reference to defense, more disciplined. Uh, we need to be, have discipline in our reads. We need, that word has come up a lot. So again, something that feels controllable is the vibe I'm getting. And I know, you know, when I was on back in the spring on Tony Covington and Ahmad Hawkins podcast, the lockdown, we talked a little bit about that, that they just weren't very disciplined with their keys and they could get confused really easily or they didn't trust what they were seeing. That was a lot of that conversation back in the spring. So some hidden kind of indicators in there of what some of the problems were last year that feel like they can be corrected, but you won't really know until you get live. You know what I mean? Because you know each other so well, even if the, if the scout team you're playing against is running the other team's scheme or whatever, you still kind of know tendencies and, you know, which player you're going to slant toward, that, that sort of thing. When it, when it gets live and teams are scheming against you or against an individual specifically, is when it gets tricky, you know, because I think you could get certain guys last season out of position with certain things, whether that be like a double move, you know, like I know a couple of the corners really struggled against double moves. I think at least one of the safeties struggled with being disciplined with where he was supposed to be in terms of the calls. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out once it's against opponents versus against yourself. Yeah. And you look at some of the numbers from last year, 53 penalties, 79 penalties for the opponents. So that looks to be a, a decent number. I didn't feel like we were, you know, there are some teams, uh, North Carolina springs to mind that just, they're kind of notorious for committing silly penalties at, at often uh, inopportune times. So that, that doesn't seem to be too much of an issue for the, the who's these last couple of years. Um, only seven fumbles the entire year, lost five of those. I mean, when you get into those sorts of things, you know, what, how much emphasis is, or can you even put on that sort of thing when you're doing the, the preseason stuff? I think creating havoc is something that's a big part of this defense. And I don't think you saw that really in, in terms of the secondary. So again, finding guys who are like playmakers, like UVA had earlier in the, in the Mendenhall era, like Juan Thornhill and Bryce Hall guys who uh, were able to, to make plays. And I think that, you know, that's going to be key. I think you know, this, in addition to being solid and, and doing kind of the basic stuff, you need to have some playmakers back there to uh, make difference making plays in the game. But I think kind of, you know, what I'm also thinking about is, you know, again, Devon, I'll go back to Devontae Cross, who I th seems like a more natural safety. And, you know, he, he's, he's able to play multiple positions and fill in solidly. But when you think of when I think of him as a cornerback, to me that he just never really looked comfortable at cornerback, and I I thought that showed. But you get to get to move him to safety where he's more comfortable, and then he 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 feels more confident, and then being able to you know trust what he's doing, and then you bring in guys who, um, you know Darius Bratton coming back and is healthier and it seems like he he may be returning to form after the ACL. He played last year, but he, I think he was still recovering, so didn't didn't play well. But he's back. He's a natural corner. Anthony Johnson's a natural corner. Josh Hayes, national uh, natural uh, cover corner. I think that's going to be. Um, I, I, I hope anyway. That's going to be helpful in terms of uh, guys who can. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be comfortable with the, their positions and and confident. And uh, hopefully that'll result in some some more havoc plays and things like that. 
Yeah, I think I'm looking at this right, guys. 32 sacks. Does that sound right for UVA's defense last year? Only uh, had 20 sacks against us. So that that's a good, I like those numbers. And in terms of the fumbles, going back to the fumbles, that was the offensive side, obviously. It only lost seven, uh, lost five of the seven fumbles on the year. 13 fumbles for the opponents. Uh, they lost seven of those. So, yeah, we can always use a little more havoc, uh, <laughs> as you say. And, you know, that puts the offense in better position usually when you can get those turnovers. And as far as the kicking game, I mean, I know that's kind of the offensive side that we'll get into next week. But are you guys feeling good? I, we only had 10 field goals made all of last year. Can that be right? That seems like a really low number. And then, you know, the punting game looked like it was pretty evenly matched to what, what the opponents did all year. But, man, if you've got confidence in, in your kicker and your punter, that, I feel like that's a good psychological boost for the defense overall, too. Do you guys feel feel good about those uh, developments in the, the kicking game for the Hoos? Uh, I mean, really what you're drilling down into there is field position, things yep. that, that shift. And there are major advantages to a defense – when it's starting in good position, right? So some of the defense's issues in certain games early last year was turnovers by the offense in plus territory, meaning the opponent is taking over on their side of the 50-yard line. So some of the defense's issues can be related to that, you know, yeah. like turnovers, kicking games, net punting, right? Is the field getting flipped against you or for you, or is it kind of a, a draw? So all of those things play together. Virginia's generally had good punters. I know Chris looked into that a little bit in one of the 50 thoughts articles. The kicking game has been very good with Delaney. He's now gone. So it, we're gonna have to see who kind of emerges there in, in those varying roles, but field position is a big one. Um, I don't feel like they got that much out of the kick return game last year, but they also didn't really give up much in, in those coverage areas. So yeah, field position is one of those hidden things that, that comes up a lot. And, and while you were kind of parsing through the numbers there, that something that came to mind to me was something that's hidden. Linebacker drops underneath coverage. We're talking about the corners getting beat, the safeties being the backstop. There's a there's layers here, right? Like shallow, medium, deep. Well, the, the in-between areas, linebacker drops or safety drops, depending on how, what scheme they're running or what play they're running defensively at the time have a lot to do with that. And Kelly Papinga brought that, brought that up in the spring. We got to be better at our drops. Everybody's yelling at the corners. So that that's part of it too. And so a hidden thing to kind of watch for this year, I've talked a lot about two, four, five, because Virginia's really done that a lot. Two defensive linemen, four linebackers, five defensive backs. But I think part of that was because of who some of those four linebackers were, Snowden and Taylor. We had a whole episode or a whole segment last year talking about if you're six, seven or six, eight and versatile, right? Yep. Those two guys are versatile. They, they could drop or they could rush. They dropped a lot last year for a variety of reasons. But what happens if the outside linebacker is now gone and you put a defensive lineman on the field instead, and now you have a 3-3-5? Three, three, well, that extra defensive back now is taking one of those coverage drop zones, right, away from one of the linebackers in theory, just depending on how certain schemes and things are laid out. So does having an extra pass rusher up front – so you're not blitzing a linebacker. How do those drops fit? How does that change blitzing schemes? And I'm getting a vibe or, or a hunch that 3-3-5 three, three, might be more common this year than 2-4-5 has been the last couple of years, um, simply because Snowden's gone. That's a major piece of the puzzle that's been a big part of the majority of the Mendenhall era to date. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And he was a 3-3-5 three, three, guy early in his career. You know, they, they're, they're mad scientists. They mix and match on defense a lot. But um, that's a, a hidden thing that I'm interested in watching scheme-wise. So we're going to see 3-3-5 three, three, a lot more. And what does that mean for coverage drops? And how does that impact pass defense, having an extra pass rusher versus blitzing so much? Once, yeah, no. that, that, I mean, that's going to be a key uh, for me. I'm, I'm really anxious to see. Uh, I don't know if you have, Chris, any uh, – you kind of mentioned which way you think they may be leaning. But as you mentioned, they're kind of mad scientists. I'm kind of excited to see what they come up with this year one guy that that I think of when you when you discuss that was Noah Taylor and I think he's a guy that I think the defense feeds off of his playmaking ability ability to get to the ball and I think pass rushing for him is going to be big this year I think looking at it was interesting looking at his pro football fa uh, focus breakdown of last year and he had uh, many more um, plays in pass coverage than he had uh, in pass rushing situations so and his grade was not was not as good now was that maybe 
uh, the the coaching staff trying to do, which was a thought I had earlier last season was were they trying to do too much with him and Snowden in terms of putting them in covered situations to try to maybe help the pass defense or is it just or is it maybe something else? But this year, I, yeah, I think as far as like him, I mean, he's so fast and you know uh, it, it appears health was an issue with him last year. But uh, anxious to see how they're going to utilize him because I really think having him up up at the line of scrimmage and in, 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 in the offensive backfield getting after that quarterback is going to be uh, pretty important. But then uh, but then again, I mean, to your point, you know, with, with the, def- the defensive line's experience as well, and it sounds like they're working on getting to the quarterback more consistently as well. So uh, it's going to be really interesting for me uh, to, to see what, what they come up with, the coaches come up with, uh, if they're able to solve the, solve the puzzle. Well, I will say Snowden looks pretty good in that uh, orange and blue, doesn't he, of the Chicago Bears? <laughs> I saw a picture on Twitter Not the too other shabby, day. Yep. <laughs> You're an Illinois guy, right? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Illinois, uh, being from that state, I don't know. That's what I mean. Like, so you like the Chicago the... orange and blue? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, I, was, I thought you meant U of I. We'll definitely be rooting for Virginia against the University of Illinois when that uh, that's the second game of the year, right? <laughs> so. I just didn't know if you were a default Bears fan because you grew up in Illinois or you just like how Snowden looks in the orange <laughs> You know, I never – that's funny because I never really was a Bears fan. I mean, they it was fun following the the Fridge and McMahon and the, the Super Bowl shuffle guys when they, they did – you know, it was like rooting for the Cubs when I was growing up. Walt, Walter Payton, as great as he was, man, they just were terrible every year and then they finally got good and – and won one. So, and, and Ditka, you know, is just still an icon in the, in the Windy City, which is interesting uh, after all these years. But um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's what happens everywhere, I guess. Once you win one, you're forever a legend. But, um, you know, one of the numbers I'm looking at here, guys, that just sort of pops off the, uh, the stat comparison for opponents versus uh, UVA last year was total plays, 379 on offense for UVA our defense had to go against 693 plays. That's almost twice as many. That's crazy to me. Yeah, they couldn't get off the field. <laughs> I, I know, but it's, but you look at yard, per, average per play was about the same. Average yards per game is about the same. Total yards for the entire year about the same. And UVA's offense scored 38 touchdowns. Opponents only scored 33. So wear and tear on the defense last year, do you think that's a factor at all this year? Um, or was that just a, a function of, like you said, injuries and we had maybe some second and, and third team guys out there for much of the year? I think de- that's why depth is being talked about a lot. <laughs> that's a question that's been asked a lot. You lost some key key faces on the defense as well um, that you've gotten used to seeing. We just mentioned Snowden, of course, but some other guys as well. But yeah, like wear and tear is an issue on defense because there's a lot of punishment there. You're throwing your body into people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it should be interesting to see if they have enough depth. I don't think you can count on certain guys making it all the way through historically they haven't joey blunt comes to mind noah taylor's nursing a back thing off and on yeah we'll just have to see how all that plays out but i think the depth is is definitely a key sort of thing we're going to get into a more in-depth discussion of the defense in our next segment here as we're doing our season preview all defense this week on the saber.com podcast we'll get into the offense nuts and bolts next week so thanks for listening we'll continue on here uh, momentarily. And at the end, I kind of want to give a shout out to the, uh, the who Olympic athletes Olympics are in the books, obviously from last month, but uh, a lot of UVA athletes involved in the Olympics over in Tokyo. So I wanted to give them a, a shout out. We'll do that at the end of the show this week. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, the saber.com. And here we go with the second segment of the saber.com podcast for the week. Jeff Sweatman joined by Chris Wright and Chris Horn. Now, this is uh, it's good to just talk football and talk who's with you guys. It's been a while. And, uh, you know, we've had our own alliance of the, uh, the three of us for a little while here uh, podcasting. But now there's a whole new alliance of the ACC, the big, uh, I almost said Big 12, but they're not included. They're not invited to the big kids table yet. So we'll see how all of that plays out. But um, obviously that's in the news this week, too. We might get into that later, but we do want to go position by position and do kind of a little uh, depth chart as we go in depth on the who's let's do that. Uh, Chris Wright, what are you looking for uh, or which position you want to start with? Well, we were doing a lot of pass defense there. So let's go back to front. Let's do, let's do it the opposite way. Let's do secondary to linebackers to defensive line. Sounds good. So what are we looking for at the, uh, the safety position? Who do you think are 
I mean, you've already thrown out some names, but uh, starters and backups. Let's go with that first, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the two super seniors are assumed to be the starters at safety. So Joey Blunt and Devontae Cross, you know, but Blunt is injury prone, but very good, knows the system, was all ACC in 2019. I think he was third team or honorable mention, I don't remember which. Very good in run support. You know what I mean? He, he provides some pop. So I, I think that veteran presence is, is a good one. And Mendenhall said that he helps get people in the right spots a lot um, in terms of communication that we were talking about in that first segment. Devontae Cross, more natural. Chris mentioned in the last segment at safety than he is at corner. Um, I don't think he's quite fluid enough to be a consistent corner um, in terms of his hip flips and all that sort of stuff. But he is pretty good at ranging sideline to sideline. And when he can have a cone of vision. Um, he is better at that, and that doesn't require him to come up and hit and tackle as much, and that is not a strength of his game to tackle. So we'll we'll kind of monitor what that means in terms of does he play a lot better at safety? I thought he did in 2019 than he did at corner, and he played both in, in 2019. And obviously he had struggles at corner last year. I think even he would tell you that. Those are the two starters. From there, I mean, it's 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 a competition. You've seen Chase Chalmers' name come up a lot. Whether he's a corner or a safety, he's kind of both maybe. And all these guys cross train early in their career, so kind of hard to know. Antonio Clary comes up a lot. He's someone who's very good in run support. Needs to work on his coverage responsibilities in terms of what you look at in the grades for pro football focus. You've got Cohen King, who filled in there a lot last year. He was a walk-on that earned a scholarship. Um, I thought he played pretty well last year when, when he got his opportunity. So so those three names come up. They, they've thrown out names like Joe White. There are lots of other names that are – possible at safety donovan johnson we just don't know exactly who is where in that pecking order right so i think it's pretty obviously blunt cross probably clary chalmers in some sort of competition to be on the depth chart but i think that there's a lot of competition for those two spots and the other thing is remember we see the traditional depth chart when it's released there's a bunch of different packages so maybe it is cohen king in one package and it's antonio clary in another so that's the other thing to kind of keep in mind. Clary is, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Chris just kind of mentioned all the names. As far as, I mean, you, I, I'm assuming they're probably going to do the 5 DB thing more often than not. I think kind of my sleeper for like a safety hybrid position, again, was Josh Hayes, the, the newcomer from North Dakota State, because he had good, uh, pretty good pro football focus pass coverage grades, but also pretty good tackling grades. And I think, uh, you know, you look at even, you know, some of the the other guys that we're going to discuss, like, like Devontae, or that we discussed, uh, Devontae Cross, Anthony Johnson, Nick Grant, a lot of those guys aren't really great tacklers. <laughs> at least they haven't been. So um, I think you need somebody out there. Antonio Clary is a guy when you, you talk about physicality and, and, uh, and, and run defense is a guy that, that, that is his strength. His weakness is pass defense, but um, it sounds like he's been working really hard to improve that. And again, he's another guy coming off of a, like an ACL. Um, as a true freshman, he suffered an ACL injury in 2019, played last year. But again, how, you know, for, for a lot of these ACL guys, I think it takes that extra year to really be back to what they were before. So he's kind of coming into that. So he's a guy that I'm kind of looking for. And then Chase Chalmers is another guy. He made the dirty dozen in terms of being a top workout guy this off season. So did Devonte Cross. So, but like, like Chris said, Blount Cross uh, at the start, and then, you know, it's going to be really interesting and it could just be uh, just dependent upon what they think the offense is going to do, like scheme specific, I guess, as to who who gets that next nod. But you'd like to see, I think, some of these third year guys like Antonio Clary, Chase Chalmers, maybe step forward and make bigger impact, uh, make a bigger impact, especially looking towards uh, when Blount and Cross move on after this year. One well, right back to you, Chris Horn, in terms of the cornerbacks, I know, you, like you said, they'll be playing a lot of five deep coverages and things like that. But uh, we know you're keeping a close eye on that for uh, improvement, signs of improvement this year. So who do you think the the top two will be on, on either side of, of the field for traditional thinking of cornerbacks? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still old I'll school. I'm picturing the field here. and like. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Nick Grant, again, he's been in the program. This is his third year entering as a full, or entering his third year as a full-time starter another super senior. So uh, I'm looking to him. I think he's going to be one of the starters and I'm, you know, Darius Bratton again, uh, as I just mentioned with Clary, Darius Bratton had an ACL injury in 2019 was healthy enough to play last year, but 
really didn't wasn't himself. Uh, just didn't didn't play very well. And uh, you know, coming back this year, uh, it sounds like he's you know returning to form as far as athletically. So definitely not going to rule him out. But I think the vibe that I get is that in uh, Anthony Johnson, AJ Johnson, is uh, he seems to be bringing some extra energy to the to the field. So I think I think I think the coaches are going to want to see what he can do. So I think I think the starter starters at corner are going to be Nick Grant and Anthony Johnson. I think Grant Johnson, Bratton, and you mentioned him as a, as a hybrid Hayes, right? You, they say all the time, they don't bring in transfers without the expectation that they're going to play. That means they see a gap somewhere, whether that's experience or health or whatever. They want guys to come in and be capable of starting. Doesn't mean they're going to start, but capable of starting and definitely capable of playing. So those two transfers figure into that. Hayes could be a nickel corner, cover the slot. He could be a safety hybrid. He seems to have a little vibe to his game. You know, he, he can just get in there and make things happen. And, you know, he had a very good career, even though it was at FCS and a very good program. So, you know, if he can translate that, remember D'Angelo Amos came in at the same thing last year, right? Kind of goes FCS to FBS and then played a lot. So Hayes could be in a similar boat there. And Anthony Johnson, ACC to ACC transfer. So they know they've seen his film. <laughs> they've seen his film against the exact same offensive schemes that, that they played against. You know what I mean? So um, some of that plays into this too. They, they're very familiar with Anthony Johnson based on his time at Louisville. The question for me is after those four guys, Elijah Gaines was a guy that played late last year, looked pretty good. We haven't heard his name much. He hasn't earned a jersey yet. Fincherell Cypress, another one of those kind of sophomore class defensive backs. I don't know if he's he's listed as a defensive back I feel like he's more corner than safety, but I don't remember specifically. So there's a name that has a jersey number already. So at least his peers and his peers are the ones who task unit leaders for the, among the players are who decide the picking order for jerseys. He has a jersey already. So is he impressing people? How is he in the mix? Um, and then a lot of these guys are going to be valuable special teams wise too. So even if they don't get on the field, corners are big in special teams. Joe Comer is a name that's come up among the players a couple of times. He played at Louisville, then wasn't on their roster, and then it's kind of reappeared at Virginia. This wasn't a transfer. Um, he didn't play at Louisville, I don't think, last last actual season, 2019. And he definitely didn't play during last pandemic season. So that's a name that's come up. The local kid, uh, Jonas Sanker, is a name that comes up. Bronco Mendenhall said both he and Malachi Fields, two local kids, would play as freshmen. That may mean on special teams, but Sanker's listed at defensive back as well. Now, he's more of a safety type, but – who are, who are some of these names behind uh, the four that we think are obvious? But I think that's also why you see the two transfers. So it'll be interesting to see because you do have some attrition there typically during the year where somebody misses a game or, you know, a bum ankle for a game or two or something, and you need more defensive backs. So something to keep an eye on. But those four names are the big four. Yeah, Cypress is a guy who has – we've also heard his name pop up over the course of his career, but he's been kind of riddled by injuries, I feel like. Uh, up to this point so he's he's definitely got to watch out for but you know as far as you know when the when when guys keep having injuries it's kind of hard to kind of include him in the mix but he's and he as Chris mentioned he's got his number I do feel like he's he's more of a uh, a traditional corner as well so he's definitely a guy and, and some of the little highlight packages I've noticed Dave Harrard who's uh Oh, we haven't talked about him much, but I think he had a couple picks in, in one of those, uh, I don't know if you call it scrimmage or whatever it was, but he, he's an interesting guy. He's uh, he, he came out of high school. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, but coming out of high school, he was uh, one of those guys who played basketball, football, was the star of kind of both sports. He was a really good athlete, but he suffered a torn ACL injury in the spring of his senior year, which obviously that led to him redshirting last year for Virginia, but a guy who's Again, natural athlete appears to be, you know, play well no matter what the sport. And a guy who's a multi-position player for his high school coming in, I think you see a lot of guys like that have success. I think Jonas Sanker was kind of the same way, a guy who had success at multiple positions and, and multiple sports. Uh, so he's another guy that, who knows, could be maybe a sleeper. Let's move along to the uh, linebacking core. Like you guys say, it's probably going to be more of a three, three, five set up this year. So who would be the top three guys on your uh, depth chart at this point? Yeah. It's helpful to kind of think of it as inside outside linebacker um, because in the base set, you got two of each. <laughs> um, but if you're going to say three, three, five and start with who has to be in the middle of that three, the answer is Nick Jackson, all ACC last year, one of the best tacklers on the team, 
is only going to get better. That was his first full-time kind of duty year. You know, he took over late in the year for Jordan Mack uh, the year before when Mack was hurt. But last year being kind of the focal point or a focal point at inside linebacker. And with Zane Zandier gone, he's now the elder statesman on the inside. So I think you have to start there. We talked about Noah Taylor previously, so you definitely throw him in there and his versatility and what can he do at outside linebacker. The other question becomes, all right, who's beside Jackson on the inside if you're playing 3-4 or who's a sort of both <laughs> if you're playing 3-3-5? And so to me, the name that jumps out is Elliot Brown is someone who we know is cross-training at both. We know Hunter Stewart, is, I think, is cross-training at both. Is that because they could be inside in a 3-4 or outside in a 3-3-5? Something to kind of figure out there is how they're going to piece these linebackers together. Those are the four names that jump out to me gut instinct-wise, though. Jackson and Stewart, Brown and, and Taylor, you've got a lot of experience in there. And then you've got an up-and-comer with Stewart. And then the depth chart becomes the question. This is where it's, it gets similar to uh, corner. There are lots of names that, that could be in a variety of spots, pending package, pending run defense, pass defense, all those sort of things. Yeah, Elliot Brown's going to be an interesting one. I mean, he's got – his size is really impressive, 6'5", 240 pounds. He's a super senior. He's been in the program. He hasn't played a ton, but he's got the experience and he, he's played uh, – still, you know, he's played every year that he – I believe that he's that he's been at Virginia. So, I mean, I think – he's definitely, I think, a safe pick to start the season. My question on him is his overall upside in terms of can he hold off some of these younger – Tap more, maybe more physically gifted guys who, you know, depending on uh, their development, if they can come up and, and, uh, and maybe beat him out of a position. But I think you'll see him start the season. And then Hunter Stewart, I think this could be his year. I mean, I think he's a guy, as Chris mentioned, that's cross trained at inside and outside linebacker. Certainly, if they go the traditional four linebacker, I think that you're going to see Brown probably on the outside and Stewart on the inside or, or vice versa. But Stewart's a guy, I think, who has who has good speed. I think he's a pretty good fit alongside Nick Jackson at inside linebacker, where I think Stewart could be uh, pretty pretty decent in pass coverage. And Nick Jackson's kind of that sledgehammer hitter type guy. So I think those guys could work uh, work pretty well together. So I, I yeah, I agree with that. Start some you know some other guys to to kind of look out for. I mean, it, it seems well. First of all, it seems like Coach Papinga is pretty pretty pleased with the group itself. So I think he, he, you know, I think they're trying to figure out the depth, but I think he's pretty satisfied as far as like uh, the, the potential at the position, you know, some, some true freshmen who came in, uh, James Jackson uh, was a mid-year enrollee and made some, made some noise and he could be kind of like a hybrid type, you know, late linebacker safety type, uh, type guy. So there's, there's definitely a lot of names, um, you know, some guys we haven't, haven't heard of Deshaun Perry, uh, who this is going to be his third year in the program. Um, he was a guy that I think a lot of people or that that, you know, we thought may emerge. We haven't heard much about him. You know, they're, they haven't spoken a lot about, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, guys necessarily that, you know, some guys have been floated out there. But we're not sure exactly of the kind of like Chris said with the defensive backfield, like of the pecking order. So I think there's a lot of potential good looking athletes and, 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 and guys like, you know, Jonathan Horton, Sam Brady, a lot of guys you could mention. But, you know, I think as far as those top four that we've, we've discussed already, those are kind of the – seem to be in position to be like the, the consistent playmakers and you know, the go-to guys to start the season. mentioned Perry on the outside. Part of the job of the outside linebackers, it's, especially in the, in the traditional 3-4, is they got to be good at setting the edge. So you, you sometimes need a bigger body. That's why they brought in Chico Bennett, who played defensive line at Georgia Tech. He was going to be outside linebacker here at Virginia. He he got injured at the same time that Lavelle Davis did, or at least the news came out at the same time Lavelle Davis did, also tore his ACL. So it feels like they need a kind of hybrid defensive end outside linebacker type. And Deshaun Perry kind of fits that a little bit because he could have been a defensive end in a 4-3, that sort of thing. So um, a name to watch. On the inside, Josh Ahern. Didn't practice in the spring. Has been a little nicked up early here in the, in the fall, but he was one that they were high on last season. He's a sophomore. And then you got T.C. Harrison has been in the mix a lot in terms of knowing his name. He's a junior. So, you know, if, if he's going to break through, this is probably the time. But we don't <laughs> – you need to see these guys in action to know for sure. Same thing we said about overall scheme-wise and execution-wise. Like, yeah, we can change this and change that and circle this and circle that. And until they play against William & Mary in Illinois, I don't – 
think a whole lot of things are set in stone in terms of the, the second tier guys. Yeah. And I guess that's what I was getting at in the last uh, segment when I was talking about, you know, uh, wear and tear in terms of, was it kind of the, the, the same troop of, of guys that were, you know, enduring that almost 700 plays of the entire year, or, you know, were, were there, was there a whole lot of switching going on? And we know, you know, we've lost uh, a few different guys to matriculation and various things, but you know, that's, that's sort of where I was going with that concept. So it sounds to me like from what you guys are saying, I mean, the depth this year, would you say is, is we're in much better shape uh, going into this season than maybe we were uh, looking at last year. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I think you should be, but again, you know, I think one thing that, that, you know, I think the the coach Mendenhall has said before they played the 11 best guy, they want the 11 best guys on defense. And I think you see a lot of the same faces that they'll play those guys most consistently. So we don't see it. There's not a whole lot of uh, change. I don't feel like, but yeah, there, I think there has to be. I mean, I think with succession planning, you want that. That's that, that's what you have to have. You have to, be able to you know, develop the guys to where they're able to step right in um, and, and play uh, when called upon. So, but no, I think, yeah. And I think some of those guys fit that mold as far as they're entering their third year of the program. It's kind of, okay. It's, it's kind of now or never. So uh, I think we'll find out uh, pretty soon what, uh, what the depth looks like for real. Yeah, for sure. And um, well, let's move along to the, uh, the front line there, I guess, who are the top two or three guys, depending on if it's a <laughs> the two, four, five, three, six, nine. I don't know. <laughs> so many combinations, right? But do you guys expect there to be for the majority of snaps this year? Would you predict probably three guys along the uh, the front of the defensive line there? I think if if the health stays that way, you know. So sometimes the health is what has been part of what's dictated two, four, five, along with the ability of the the talented outside linebackers uh, in the recent years of the Mendenhall era. I think there's four guys up front that are pretty, again, it seems like this with each position, there's four guys that we're pretty confident about. And then it's uh, a lot of competition. And you hear that from the coaches too. They've been very non-committal when you're like, well, what about the guys backing up? (laughs) So-and-so it's always like, well, there's a lot of guys and and they list off a bunch of names too, but up front, Alonzo, Famui, Jamir Carter, uh, Adibo Tariwa. You know, those are the four names I think that are obvious and they're going to be playing somewhere. I think Carter can play in Carter is inside. That's, that's kind of his jam. You got Famui who can do both. You've got Alonzo who can do both. You've got Atariwa who's mostly outside, but can maybe do a few snaps in the a gaps on the interior. And then after that is where it gets kind of interesting. If, you, if you're talking about a pure nose, Jordan Redmond's been in the program for a while. He was a guy that came in late last season after Jawan Briggs departed. He was spelling Carter sometimes. If you're looking pure run stopping space eating nose, he's a guy. But then you get into some of these, these linemen that are just built different. Uh, Agun Loye, I always have trouble, but he's 6'6". You got Ben Smiley um, has been in the mix. Uh, he's a guy I think that opted out initially last year, then came back and then kind of worked his way into it. Milani, Agun Loye, both 6'6". That's a different kind of athlete that you can put in there. Um, and th- they've definitely kind of been mentioned in there as well. So th- those two, along with Smiley, are the three kind of that I'm monitoring as, as potential backups, along with Redmond, if you're looking for for a true nose. Yeah, I think you want to see, you know, Smiley, this will be his third year in the program. And he was kind of a her- herald of recruit coming out. He's also has some pretty good size to him. I forgot exactly what his height weight is, but I think he's, you know, what, six, four, six, five or so. But then you have uh, Agun Loye at, at six, six and Nusi Milani also at six, five, six, six. And those are all guys who look like they're pretty nimble. They can move around pretty well, uh, at least the, the glances that we've got of those guys. So I think you want to see, hopefully those guys can emerge to, you know, with, with the solid four guys, if those are, if those guys are healthy, I think you're going to see, especially with their, um, how well they've done this off season, if they, and if that translates to the season, I think we're going to see those guys basically much of the time. But again, you'd like to see some of these younger guys emerge. And uh, again, those guys can move around. So that can make for some interesting possibilities on the defensive line. And then, um, you know, I think for the younger, younger guys, like the, the true freshmen, they have a, a pretty talented freshman class, but I think the ideal scenario is for them to be able to 
you know, maybe play, you know, four or less games, but maybe red shirt so they can develop. But yeah, Nusi Milani is an interesting guy. He's got, he's a fiery guy uh, as well. And in, in addition to his size and athleticism, and then Agun Loyer uh, didn't play as much as Milani did last year, but uh, again, good size, good athleticism and same with Ben Smiley, but we just have, haven't seen a, a ton of him uh, on the field yet, but those are the, definitely the three guys I'm looking for as far as depth is concerned. Well, we talked about uh, a lot about pass defense uh, last segment, guys. Overall run defense thoughts, Chris Wright. Uh, now that we've gone kind of position by position and folks know the names now, what what are you looking for improvement wise on the the run defensive side? Well, that's kind of where it all starts. If you ever ask a defensive coordinator, Howell or Papinga, or if you ask Coach Mendenhall Hall himself, they always go, "We've got to stop the run." If you ask players, like, what's your focus on defense? That's the first thing they say. They never say pass first. So while fans are hyper-focused on the breakdowns in the secondary, the defense always starts there. If you don't stop the run, everything else becomes an issue because your down and distance schedule changes, right? You're giving up five yards a carry or six yards a carry on first down, second and four, third and three. <laughs> That's a lot harder to deal with. So it, it really does start there, even if, you know, obviously teams don't always run on first down, et cetera, but the run defense has been pretty good. That's something that they really focused on. I seem to remember it was a big topic of conversation between 2018, 2019. Got to get better at stopping the run. We got to improve the run. And then 2019, 2020, they were good at stopping the run. And I think that's part of what I think frustrates fans and or frustrates coaches a little bit is that the run defense improved, but then the pass defense, which was great, suddenly fell off a cliff. So um, obviously NFL talent disappearing hurts that. <laughs> Thornhill, Hall, guys like that. Yeah, that that changes things when, when those guys exit. But if you look at run defense, uh, they were 37th nationally last year. That's not bad. That's a, a, a solid run defense. That's a 138 yards a game. They were 32nd, so around the same spot in yards per carry allowed. That's 3.74 yards per carry is really pretty good. And, and their target is four or less on kind of regular running downs. So the run defense is solid, but you've got a lot of different pieces now. No Jawan Briggs, no Eli Hambat, who were kind of the two mainstays that nose tackle these past couple of years until Briggs transferred out late last year. You had guys like Snowden helps at the edge. Sandy has gone, his physicality. Obviously, they replaced Jordan Mack very well with Nick Jackson, but now you have to replace Zandier, who, who had a really good year last year in terms of, of his pro football focus grades, but really just his toughness and physicality in the middle. Will they be as good against the run? But that is the starting point for all things uh, when, when you ask the coaches, we have to stop the run. Yeah, I think the um... – yeah, the tackling for me is going to be uh, interesting. I mean, Nick Jackson obviously is uh, phenomenal, but uh, you know, I think and I think the guys up front should do a solid job. I think Jameer Carter is going to help with that. But uh, one thing that you know was kind of glaring to me last year, and I mean, you don't want your secondary making a whole bunch of run tackles, but they are important certainly. And I think uh, at cornerback last year. And I don't think Nick Grant or Devontae Cross, neither one of those guys were great tacklers on the edge. And I think some big plays were allowed because of that. So I think it's going to be important to find guys who are physical in the secondary who can come up and make tackles. And hopefully that's a that's an emphasis because that was something that that uh, maybe it's minor, but it stood out to me. And, you know, I think it's definitely something significant that can that, that can crop up. But, yeah, I'm encouraged by the defensive line and then Nick Jackson. But, yeah, as Chris mentioned, there's some other you know, guys to replace like uh, Zandier and, and Snowden, who were significant in that run defense. Uh, and even a guy you can you know, bring in off the bench like a Matt Gam uh, with his physicality. So uh, the best execution you know, guys are great. Yeah. Sorry, Gam had the best execution grade in pro football focus last year. It's a good yep. call by you. He, he's a kind of unheralded part of the defense the last couple of years. Yep. So, I mean, they're, you know, the guys have to show that they can do it. Yeah, they'll be thrust into roles that they haven't had before. So there's definitely questions to be answered. I think we're hopeful, but we'll see. Well, speaking of uh, former Who's that look good in NFL uniforms, uh, Bryce Perkins has had a pretty good preseason. So it looks like news just this week that uh, the Rams have cut their fourth quarterback. So that kind of sets the stage for Bryce uh, to be the at least number three, maybe even hopefully uh, moving up the depth chart there. I, I know, I think it was the Rams announcer uh, put out there on Twitter, like, hope we can keep this guy. Like he's played so well that he, he might just get signed by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky spot because if he's the so, third quarterback, most NFL teams don't carry three quarterbacks. Right. If you release him, he may never make it to your practice squad because he's yeah, played so yeah. well. So great spot for Bryce to be in. Yeah, yeah. Same, same issue with Kurt Bankert in Green Bay. 
but yeah. which you know obviously they're if they keep two but yeah he seems to be playing well but yeah i mean obviously rogers and then jordan love was their what first round draft pick last year so clearly they're keeping uh, those two guys but banker's playing well too making a making a good name for himself and yeah cool to see bryce perkins out there doing bryce perkins stuff (laughs) well and we were talking earlier growing up in the midwest i was almost more of a fan of the rams there during the st louis years anyway I i don't follow them as much since they bailed again for la but uh Greatest show on turf, man. Those are some uh, some fun times there living in uh, just a couple hours away from St. Louis. So we will uh, pause and collect our thoughts. Maybe uh, give a shout out to some Olympian who's next here on the Sabre.com podcast. The Front Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization, and we uh, connect everyone through music. I like the way that the Front Porch encourages people to to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody's included and that's really what the word community is about, you know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and and participate in that something. All right, welcome back to the final segment of the Saber.com podcast, season two. Um, the last segment we called Turning the Tables because we were playing on the music vibe of turntables and letting Jeff kind of be in the, the hot seat. We have since kind of turned this into a whatever we feel like talking about segment, which often includes music, but it often includes sports. Sometimes it includes both. In this case, uh, the Olympics wrapped up and UVA athletes did really well. Lots of medals coming home, uh, particularly on the women's side in terms of Olympic medals for former or current Virginia athletes. I know you got a little list there. uh, And then I'll share something that I saw from Paige Madden on social media that I think is worth talking about. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing really when you think about it and uh, I'll admit it, I had Olympic fever, you know, every four, or in this case, five years, uh, I start out mildly interested or, you know, just plain ignorant of the, uh, the primary storylines, but that's in large part to the U S media obsessed with pounding the drum of just a handful of marquee athletes at the, the expense of the vast majority of the equally compelling stories that uh, deserve to be told. You know, I'm all for hyping up the world-class athletes, some of whom like Phelps and Ledecky and Felix and Biles are truly the best that we've ever seen in their respective disciplines. But, you know, then when the hype doesn't match the results, it can't help but feel a bit like a letdown. Sometimes instead of just letting the accomplishments unfold and then bask in the uh, worldwide greatness on display. So I get why NBC is so American centric in their coverage. It's tough with the time difference too. It's hard, but shout out on the women's swimming team. I mean, just incredible. May graduate Paige Madden won a silver medal in the four by 200 meter freestyle relay. Also competed in the 400 meter freestyle. Uh, second year, Alex Walsh. Third year, Kate Douglas captured silver and bronze respectively in a close 200 meter individual medley race. Emma Wyant, who's coming to grounds this fall uh, after signing with UVA in 2020, but deferring enrollment. We've talked about her before. Uh, she won silver in the 400 meter individual medley. And then there's a University of Michigan star, Katie DeLoof, who trains at UVA's Aquatic and Fitness Center. She got a bronze medal. Kudos to all of them. And obviously UVA head swimming and diving coach Todd DeSorbo selected as an assistant coach. So he got to go over to Tokyo as well for the American team. Rowing, Megan O'Leary returned to the Olympics for Team USA, finished fourth in the women's eight event. Canada won the gold in the women's eight with three UVA rowers, including uh, 2011 graduate Christine Roper, 2013 graduate Suzanne Granger, 2018 graduate Morgan Rusts, uh, she was an alternate. Hannah Osborne, silver medal for New Zealand in the women's double skulls rowing event. Inga Jansen made her third trip to the Olympics. She won silver in 2016 in uh, Rio. I almost said Rio. (laughs) In the quad skulls event, Jansen and the Netherlands team finished uh, sixth. O'Leary and the U.S. team finished 10th. Dawn Staley, of course, back at the Olympics. All she does is win gold medals every time she goes. So uh, she won three golds as an athlete, served as an assistant coach for two medal uh, winning teams in 08 and 16. Now she's running the show, and they, of course, were uh, the big winners of the gold uh, in U.S. women's basketball. Aisha Mohammed Olarabe, Tokyo, uh, she was there as a member of the Nigerian national team. In her second Olympic Games, she played at UVA back in uh, 08 and 09, if you saw them playing and maybe recognize that name. So seven consecutive golds for U.S. women's basketball. Just incredible. And then a couple of local stories of interest like Mike Toby coming up just a little bit short in that bronze medal game for Slovenia. But man, he had a great run 
alongside the uh, the Dallas Mavericks wonderkind uh, Luke Doncic and fellow center and current Cavalier Francisco Cafaro. Also went to Tokyo, played with the Art- uh, Argentinian national team. Uh, there were two past UVA stars winning bronze for the U.S. national soccer team, Becky Sauerbrunn and Emily Sonnet. Joe Bell, who was at UVA from 2017 to 2019, midfielder for New Zealand national men's soccer team. He was co-captain of the uh, UVA squad in 2019 that won the ACC tournament, entered the NCAA tournament as the number one seed. You've got Michaela Meyer, 2021 NCAA champion. She was an alternate for the 800-meter race, so maybe look out for her at the next Olympics for USA track and field. That was the same race that she won at the NCAA championships back in June. Uh, There was a 2017 graduate, Philip Mahalovic, hope I got his name right, returning to the Olympics, shot put for Croatia. He ended up doing okay. He, uh, He won the bronze at the European Indoor Championships in March, so he did a little better there than he did at the Olympics. But just, I mean, how cool is that? We got like all these different countries represented. And I wanted to give a shout out to Remedy Rule. My wife taught her in middle school. She swam for the Philippines and made the semifinal of the 200 meter butterfly. So just awesome all the way around. And tying back to the music thing, Chris Wright, and I'll send it back to you. Jessica Springsteen and the U.S. equestrian jumping team came up just short of Olympic gold. They uh, fell to Sweden in a jump off, but they, they still got their record 10th medal in the event. First medal for 29-year-old Springsteen. She's the daughter of Bruce Springsteen and Patty Shalfa. So there you go. I mean, that is just incredible, the list of who's involved. Record for number of medals, I think, or surpassed the number of medals they had in Rio in terms of UVA athletes. So yeah, that's great. One thing to tie in there, I saw Paige Madden share this. She didn't write this, but she shared that someone else wrote that Olympians, that empty feeling you're feeling right now is normal because they spend their entire lives chasing this and then it's all over. And then it's people like, what was it like to be an Olympian? Oh, wow, you won a medal. What's that like? And they don't know how to answer it. So hats off to the UVA folks for giving us something to cheer about, but we see you um, and it is normal to feel a little bit sort of like what's next. We love you either way. Go Hoos.